0: Welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith, and thank you for listening. David is not here today. He couldn't make it, so uh, I'm going solo, but not totally solo. I do have a couple of guests, and this is going to be very exciting. But first off, I wanted to say thank you to Neil for being on the show last week. Do check out his film, uh, I Was a Teenage Were Skunk. It's available on uh, Amazon. You can get it uh, through his website. It's hilarious, uh, and if you're a fan of horror and if you're a fan of... uh, old 1950s, uh, teenage flicks, then that is the film for you. Now, as I said, we do have guests and we'll get to them in a moment, but first we got to pay some bills specifically, uh, through, uh, our sponsor movie. Now, for those that don't know, and I don't have the copy in front of me, but I've been saying this for a year and I think I might have it memorized. Let's give it a shot. This episode is brought to you by MUBI, a curated online cinema that brings its members a hand-picked selection of the best independent, international, and classic films. Every day, MUBI's curators introduce a new title and you have 30 days to watch it, which means there's always 30 wonderful films to enjoy, all for only $5.99 a month. Plus, when you use their mobile apps, you can download films to watch offline. And there's a special offer for listeners of Battleship Retention. You can try MUBI free for a month. Just go to Mubi.com, that's M-U-B-I.com slash battleship to redeem that offer right now. And then we are also sponsored by Tweaked Audio. Tweaked provides uh, a variety of uh, earbuds in uh, uh, different styles and different colors. And uh, if you actually purchase it through our, uh, our portal, uh, or rather use our offer code, you will get one-third off Uh, And it is free shipping. So these are great earbuds. Uh, I use them. David uses them. And we highly recommend that you use them as well. So if you go to uh, tweakedaudio.com and use the offer code pretension, you will get one-third off and free shipping. All right. Now that that is done and out of the way, this is very exciting. We've got a couple of guests here to talk about their film, uh, Praying for Mercy, but we'll be talking about any number of things on top of that. We have with us uh, Jason Gladstone. Hello. Hello. How are you? Good. All right. Thank you for being here. Thank you. And then we also have Bill Duke. Bill, how you doing? I'm doing great. All right. Now, we got two guests and we got to get to know both of you in an efficient yet entertaining manner. Now, those two words don't often go together, but I will do my best. Uh, I will ask, since David is not here to ask the basic biographical question, uh, I will ask it first, and we'll answer, we'll, we'll have you guys answer individually. Where are you from? Jason, where are you from originally?
1: I uh, was actually born in New York City, and I grew up, uh, kind of had a duality of residencies, uh, you know, in New Jersey and New
0: York. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, when did you make your way out to the city of angels, as they say? Well, it was <laughs> kind of funny.
1: I, I went to University of Miami film school.
0: Okay. And um, that's,
1: and I originally went down there as a director. Okay. And I kind of fell into, I guess by default um, acting in, sh- in short student films mm-hmm. and really, really loved it. Yeah. And you know, I did a little bit of acting in, in high school, but not a lot. Yeah. And um, I spoke to a professor that said to me, because uh, I wanted, you know, uh, pursue this, pursue acting, and you know, as a as a profession. Mm-hmm. And he said, you have to go to New York or L.A., kid. Yeah. And uh, I, I, my family and you know, friends were living in uh, New York, mm-hmm. and I felt like I also needed some more training to understand acting, understand uh, character work, to uh, you know, kind of plummet uh, character work and subtext and mm-hmm. understand that kind of stuff. So. That's, and then, and then I went out actually to, I was in New York city for about seven or eight years and then I moved out to LA. Okay. Um, Bill,
0: where are you from?
2: Uh, Some place you've never heard of. It's called Poughkeepsie, New York. Poughkeepsie. It's, okay. Uh, it's uh, on the Hudson river, right in the middle of between Albany and New York city.
0: Okay. And now you've been in the industry for a while at this point. What brought you out here? Or did you start? Did you come out here first, or did you stop in New York, or, or uh, you know, did you do theater first, or anything like that?
2: Uh, I uh, attended Boston University, got my bachelor's there. at NYU School of the Arts got my first master's degree, mm-hmm. and then uh, the American Film Institute for my second master's. And, nice. Um, I came. Out, I came out to California. Uh, my mentor Lloyd Richards, which I met with BU at BU, mm-hmm. and then he uh, transferred to New York School. New York. Uh, NYU School of the Arts. Mm. And I followed him there, became his assistant. He got my first job at the Negro Ensemble Company and then he brought me back to California to be his assistant on a film called Go Watch at PBS. Mm. I was gonna go back to New York, he said, no, you stay here, I think you have a future here. And so, I stayed.
0: Well, what's, what's interesting, um, I was looking over your your filmography earlier today and you know, a lot of people I would say know you primarily as an actor you've been directing as long as you've been acting yes um did and that it's actually very rare uh and so do you do you think of yourself primarily as an actor or primarily as a director or do you genuinely think of yourself as both
2: uh i think of myself as a director more okay i enjoy acting but directing is my passion Mm -hmm. um the whole creative process of directing is it's amazing it's like you're it's the creative aspect, but also you're a manager of three things time, people and money. Yeah. If you're creative and you can't manage time, people and money, you don't work.
0: Yeah. And so it's uh so it sounds as though you definitely find directing to be more rewarding, but what keeps you coming back to, to
2: acting? I enjoy acting. I mean, you know, it's, it's 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 as Jason can tell you, it's a I mean I'm not a snob or anything, but, these, but reality show people, they're not actors. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm not trying to be mean, but acting's a craft. Mm-hmm. It's a sacred craft. I mean, for you to have the courage to surrender your entire spirit to the human being that the author has described on a page, mm-hmm. it takes courage. Yeah. Because it only works when your intellect and mind are no longer engaged. Yeah you've committed yourself and you're on an energy ride, or whatever you call it, Mm. and it takes you through the entire process, but not everybody has the courage to do that. You know, it's interesting,
0: um, by way of a a tangent, I'll say that um, some of the uh, various political websites, not that I'm getting into politics, uh, but some of the various political websites that I I frequent because I tend to be a bit more right-leaning, which is frustrating. Because a lot of the people that I tend to politically agree with seem to have no patience for art in general, which is very frustrating. And and I was reading, uh, and I couldn't. I usually don't comment, but sometimes I can't help it. Uh, some Richard Dreyfus had made a, a. He's a very politically outspoken guy, and so there are some people that were chiming in and saying like, "Ah, oh, what does he know?" You know, it's like he's just a hack. And I said, for the record, maybe if you don't agree with him, that's one thing but let's not denigrate him not merely as an actor but also let's not denigrate the craft of acting like and then i went on to and i called him an artist and then there were people that said it's like he's not an artist he's just playing pretend and then by this time now i am committed to the comment section and i just said like can you do it i can't do it it is mm-hmm. it is astounding to me how many people think that acting you know and i recognize that you know it's not Coal miner or something like that, but it's still remarkably hard to do. And if if the act, like the actor has to be remarkably vulnerable, the producer is fairly safe. You know, if they if they if so, if a, if a film goes wrong or something like that, or if it doesn't do well, nobody the the producer is not the face of the film. It's the actors, and 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 the audience is often very likely to say, "Oh, it's that Tom Hanks movie. It's that Tom Cruise movie. Right. They didn't direct it, but right. they're the face of it." And I do think that it takes a fair amount of courage to put yourself out there as the face of something, and that's just from a public standpoint. If you have to convey emotions that, like, a, that an audience isn't super comfortable watching, like, I don't know, there's you you are under such tremendous scrutiny as an actor, and that's something I'm sure both of you uh, understand to a tremendous degree that I can't even begin to fathom.
2: Well, um, if 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 the if the script says your mother died Mm -hmm. and it's you're in such pain that you cannot speak Mm -hmm. you don't act as though your mother died Mm -hmm. your mother has to die (laughs) yeah and that's an internal not intellectual yeah but it's an internal spiritual emotional commitment to that truth yeah and not everybody has the courage to do that. It's, it's such an instinctive thing. Like, you can't over-intellectualize,
0: because in life you don't over-intellectualize an emotional reaction, you just have it. Um, and it's, it's really astonishing.
2: Well, the emotions, you know, the intellectual is controlled by ego. And mm-hmm. um, E-G-O, uh, someone once said, stands for edging God out. <laughs> and uh, there is something you commit to as an actor that you can't describe. I mean, as an artist, it's hard to how do you describe uh, um,
1: I think I think a lot of it is is kind of just plummeting uh, the depths of of your soul and who you are and kind of being fearless and and kind of getting in the dungeon of your heart sometimes uh, and and uh, um, you know especially when we talk about uh, uh character work it's really I think the commitment mm-hmm. and um you know, as as an old teacher in New York would say, Jason, really do that. Yeah. You're gonna you're gonna walk out. Really walk out the door. Don't don't stop because if the scene says you're supposed to. Stop, no, right. walk out. Yeah. So I think commitment is is a is a big part of it. Um,
0: do you, you know, in your early days, and this is a question for either one of you, in your early days, did you find yourselves having a hard time just giving yourselves over to that? Was there a block, a self consciousness, perhaps, that kept that from? really happening.
2: Of course. I mean Absolutely. you're being judged. I mm-hmm. mean yeah. for, oh, the, the, the the major judge you have to face is yourself. Yeah. Because there's a thing called stage fright. Yeah. And what stage fright is, is that you're not committed to your job of being that person. You're observing what you're doing and determining how you're going to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's acting is Okay, I'm jumping in the water. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know this is where the current's taking me, but the author has said and the director has said, "Jump in." Mm-hmm. And so, <coughs> it's it's something. That, but you know, the thing that I find a little, how can I say, uh, questionable in terms of directors, especially young directors. I was working on a film one time, an independent film with a first or second time director, and I was having trouble with the character, and I I needed some help to help get me more deeply into it, you know, Mm -hmm. and I, so I went, I said, you know, this scene is really difficult for me, can you, and he looked at me and he says, yeah, make it a little more green. What the hell does that Yeah, mean? I was going to I was going to interpret that.
0: Green with envy, green as in young and he said nothing else. Nothing else. Make it more green.
1: So it's really open to your interpretation of it really, you
0: know. Yeah, but it didn't help me. It didn't help you. <laughs> I wonder. All right, here's a weird Okay. I'm going to think. Yeah. I'm going to speak extemporaneously for a moment. <coughs> so I have this thing called synesthesia. He might have it as well, where you associate everything with color. You don't see color, it's not an aura situation. You just have an associate, like the the number two is blue to me for reasons I don't know. Um, People I know, names, letters, everything has a certain certain color to me. Um, And I thought everybody had that for a long time. I used it as a descriptor years ago with, oddly enough, my my co-host, my absent co-host, David. Um, I was describing something and I said, you know, it's just kind of like a maroon type of thing. And he goes, what the hell are you talking about? And I said, maroon, you know what I mean? And he said, I don't know what you mean. And that was the first time. Mm-hmm. It took me until college to realize, oh, not everybody does that. Mm-hmm. And so I wonder if this young director thought of, a cer- of your character or thought of a certain character beat as green and thought you th- maybe Bill things in the same way.
2: Well yeah um that's good for him but, <laughs> but his job is right to help me yeah get through the scene mm-hmm. and I'd done my work, I'd surrendered and everything, but there was yeah. one thing it was about the death of my somebody, my family, my my mother, I think, or my father, whatever it was and uh and just to surrender to that was very difficult for me yeah. and that was his thing just make it more green So. Yeah, it's. I was on my own and I made it more green, but not with his help. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's
0: like, uh, you're making more of a lime green. Can it be more of like, yeah. a, like a pea green? Right. Thank you. Yeah. Um,
2: it makes you want to be violent.
0: <laughs> I was going to ask uh, from a writing standpoint, I mean, obviously, dir- there are directors that just, for whatever reason, can't get on the same page. Have you ever gotten, gotten roles that you just, as you read through it, you just think, like, this is a very inconsistent character and not in a very, not in the human way that people are inconsistent. Like this writer clearly just wants the character to be whatever he wants him to be in any given scene. And now I have to make that consistent. How do you do that? Like without actually changing the character or like changing the writing itself. You gotta, you gotta latch on to some nugget of truth for yourself.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, um, where and find that however you can justify it and however you can find it um, and try to connect it with the the uh, the inner workings of you with what's going on um, in the story mm-hmm. um, and so it, it takes a little bit of um, I think it takes uh, a little bit of a, a courageous plunge to do that mm-hmm. but you know it, it, that's I think that's really the key is unlocking the secret in yourself and making the parallel
0: Bill, what about you? Have you ever, uh, do, how, can you, how can you craft an inconsistent character without just going to the director and saying, can we just change these dumb lines?
2: Uh, there's only so much inconsistency that you can deal with. Right. Because it doesn't make not only sense on the page, it doesn't make any sense emotionally. Yeah. Right. And some writers write from an idea. But they know nothing about the structure of a film, yeah. beginning, middle, and end, and then every character has a structure, beginning, middle, and end. Yeah. That's the craft of filmmaking. But no one wants to study that. Everybody yeah. just wants to get a camera and or get a piece of paper and just write what they feel. And I'm simply saying that there are people like Joseph Campbell, for example, mm. or hear What A Thousand Faces, who really guides you through the entire process of writing structure? Yeah, and everything from Star Wars to Steven Spielberg to George Lucas, all those guys who know Joseph Campbell's work. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's not being taught. Yeah, and so you may get a script that it's a good idea, but in terms of how to play this inconsistent character, it there's no there's no Emotional, emotional syllogism, or a logical syllogism. Yeah, just you got to. They want you to make it up, and what happens is, is that you, the actor, bear the weight of that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. This is a. It's a thing that um, I run across. So I have this other podcast called More Than One Lesson, which is, uh, which is Christian based. Which means I have to interact with Christian film a lot, which is unfortunate because it's predominantly unwatchable and it's because people are writing a theme more than a story and it is astonishing how many I, I guess this almost goes back to the acting thing Like, there's an, there's an, there's something about art, whether it could be painting it could be uh, almost anything that people just, they look at that and they're like I could probably do that and then they just start writing a screenplay and it's like I want the screenplay to explore these ideas, like oh, okay that's fine what about the character? Oh, that character will be fine and that's when you get characters that are a function of the theme as opposed to you know uh, 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 a vessel for the theme.
2: Yes, yes. It's, it's, and um, I guess, I mean, the craft of things is becoming secondary to your ability to draw attention to yourself. And that yeah. could be you getting on YouTube and having sex with somebody naked. Mm-hmm. Or it could mean you doing something violent, yeah. or licking a cat in the face, or <laughs> or punching somebody, or it, it, and you become a star, a celebrity. Yeah.
0: Now, I will say, if you're willing to lick a cat in the face, there's some commitment there.
2: Yes, there uh, is. I'll, yeah. I'll admit <laughs> that. Not a
0: lot of craft, but there's commitment. Uh, and it is interesting, actually, that we're having this conversation the same day uh, that Vine has been, it's been announced that Vine is going to go away. Yeah. Why? It is, I don't know. But like, it, and it's odd, just because I I have a number of friends that are Vine stars. Now, many of them go on to do other things, longer things, more substantial things, but they started there, and it's so strange. For no particular reason, the entire platform is just evaporating uh in 2017 and so like it's it's really sending like ripples uh or or shockwaves in fact through through the internet um because there are a lot of people and i'm not saying it's a good or bad thing but but to my knowledge no real explanation has been given and i don't know it's uh but but youtube is still around it's gonna be fine
2: (laughs) what, what do you think it is though what do you think the reason is
0: I'm not, I'll be honest, I'm not really sure. I think it could be that, you know, now Twitter has video, Instagram has video, Snapchat is a big thing. Um, and uh, if David were here, he would give his Snapchat, which I've not taken the time to memorize. So you can just find it on your own. Um, but yeah, it's it, it could be all of these other things. And, and Vine, which did have the, the market cornered, um, uh, just suddenly isn't that... Isn't that unique
2: anymore? Well, things are changing quickly. I mean, you know, with us working on this great project together, I mean, you know, we're not just looking at traditional distribution and marketing, Mm -hmm. but online from Amazon to Netflix, Hulu, Crackle, and all the other new platforms coming up. There's a great new platform coming up now called FanDate Okay. I mean there's a lot of different stuff things that are happening that just keeping up with them and yeah. they come up and they die off and they yeah. come up and they die off like, yeah. yeah. who would ever think that you know
1: Netflix would be the juggernaut that it is now uh, <laughs> you know? well blockbuster didn't think that uh, when they right had it? the option it's to true. buy Netflix That's right. and didn't exactly right no. big, mistake. big mistake yeah colossal hercules yeah. mistake yeah, <laughs>
2: yeah. it's <clears throat> and Netflix is not a tv channel and it's getting emmys. Yeah. Doesn't that say something about what we're what's going on? It's it's odd. I was just I was just before, literally
0: right before this I was talking with some of my uh, instructors at UCLA about this about just the changing nature of of uh, we were talking about Amazon which which is where your your film is is uh, available and that you know Amazon is is as, as far as uh, uh, independent production uh, is kind of struggling to get like ratings and viewers and stuff, but that th- there's such a push, especially on that show Transparent, uh, transparent there's such a push for like awards so that like there's buzz and that people, so the audiences will think, man, people have been talking about this Transparent show. What's that on? Oh, it's on Amazon. I better sign up for mm-hmm. it. Um, and n- whereas Netflix, just cranks out information because it was already a, th- a place that you go to watch things. Amazon was a place that you go to get things shipped, uh, you know, and it's trying to rebrand itself and I think is doing it successfully but w- very slowly well, as opposed to Netflix which is just a constant deluge of content.
2: Well, ne- Netflix is brilliant in mm-hmm. its reconceptualizing how the viewer views content. Yeah. No one has ever done this before. In other words, you can watch one episode at a time mm-hmm. or watch all 12 Yeah, and binge. It's amazing. But it's, it's, they put that in your hands. Yeah. Before it was in the hands of the network. Mm-hmm. But they've done something else. Now, as artists, the idea of the viewer having that
0: level of control as writers, as directors, as producers, do you think that's a good thing? Or a bad thing. As a critic, I have an opinion, but I won't say it just yet. I want to hear it from you guys. Do you uh, think it's a good thing or a bad thing? Well, I th- I
1: think the the beneficial thing about it is it puts it it kind of uh, in, emboldens and puts more power in the artist's hands nowadays mm-hmm. because of it. Because you can, uh, and and it seems like Netflix and you know uh, Amazon are so are so they've opened the doors to new content. Yeah. So you, you have more control as an artist, which um, didn't really exist to, to the extent that it does now. So I think in terms of that, and taking your career into your own hands, writing, producing, directing, you know, I think that that's, uh, th- that's the nice, that's what's fortuitous about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and,
0: yeah.
2: I think, I, think <clears throat> I don't necessarily agree that this is new Mm-hmm. Um the audience has always been in charge. Yeah. Right. eyeballs have always been in charge. Mm-hmm. It's just that Netflix recognized it. Yeah. And said we know uh that we are just providing content. We want you to tell us how you want it. Do you want it with some sugar on it or <laughs> some olives? Yeah. <laughs> you know and whatever you want. Yeah. I mean, we're gonna create the content, but you tell us, and, and they listen to the comments, they listen yeah. to the feedback, and they try to adjust, Yeah, because eyeballs mean money. Yeah. And so, if you're getting into this industry today, if you are not a business person, you know what I'm talking about. You're not yeah. gonna survive. You're not, yeah. No matter how talented you are, if you don't have an understanding of how this business functions. You can And, talk, a, and
0: a malleable understanding, because it's course. always yeah. changing. It's, 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 it's every, different every, now every than it five years Every ago. day,
2: every day. Yeah. You have to adjust and adopt. Yeah. If you keep going the same path, trying to do the same thing over and over again, it's let's call it insanity, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah. I think you have to be very adaptable and, and have rhinoceros skin. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's-
2: Rhinoceros requ- skin, I never heard that one, but that's so true, man.
1: <laughs> it seems like requisite,
2: you know, uh, What's a friend that? of mine's writing a book. You know what the title of the book is? What's that? Ain't no god in Hollywood. <laughs> 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 but there's a devil. There's a, there's a, oh, 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 rolling I, red. I've met I met that 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 oh, sorry, go ahead.
1: <laughs> I've shook his hand many times. <laughs> I didn't shake
2: his hand, but he shook mine. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <it's... laughs> do you have no know? options <laughs> <laughs> sorry but that's fine it's, it's fine um,
0: <laughs> do you um, yeah this this is definitely a, a conversation that is often had in the in the online critic community especially for those that that follow tv which i am actually not i don't count myself among those but the idea that the concept of binge watching Uh, which started with DVDs and specifically like when Lost was released on Mm -hmm. DVD and people just like tear through it. Mm -hmm. I know I did. Um, That idea is, you know, nothing exists in a vacuum and no creative decision exists in a vacuum. And so the concept of binge watching has affected the way shows are made, not merely the way they're released, obviously, but the way that they're made to such a degree that, you know, on on a Netflix show, there can be an episode, you know, midway through the season that actually, strictly speaking, isn't that interesting. And that if this were a week-to-week show, people would say, that one was boring. But if it's wedged in between two much more interesting episodes and you just need it as a transition, suddenly that's way more acceptable now. It's a a second act lull as opposed to one full week uh, of stuff to talk about. Mm -hmm. And that is that can provide tremendous freedom for the artist to, to take their time. But it also, I think, I don't know. I, as far as how the shows are talked about, the concept of, of the water cooler show I think doesn't exist anymore mm-hmm. because it's like, did you see that episode of Seinfeld last night? And uh, now it's, did you see this entire season of something over the weekend? I did. And if you, if you've only watched half of it, like, you know, I feel like I'm committing a sin by not having seen all of Luke Cage yet, um, but uh, but I'm getting there.
1: That that accept, I mean, just what you're saying, and that kind of accelerates the process. Mm-hmm. Exactly what Bill's saying is that you can watch it and watch a whole season in a weekend, yeah. which you know keeps the mill turning. Yeah, you know, time for another season. Time for another. You know.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So I want to move into. Uh, uh, a discussion of, of influences, a discussion of favorite films, favorite TV shows, favorite directors, favorite actors. Um, and I'll put it in, in this context. There are inspirations and there are influences. You know, you can be inspired by a director but have no real desire to mimic his career. But then there are the directors that I'm like, now that is something I want to do very specifically, you know. Um, and it's the same with actors. You know, you could, you could love Danny DeVito's work, but acknowledge like, eh, I'm more of a Ben Kingsley or something like that. Um, by the way, that's probably a good problem to have if you're, if you're I'm more of a Ben Kingsley, sorry. Um, so, uh, so we'll start with, with, with actors and, and maybe even specific performances. Um, uh, past or present, uh, what are some of your favorite uh, actors and, and some of your favorite performances? And we can talk about inspirations or influences in this case.
2: Uh, It's kind of a loaded question, I apologize. um, I can list uh, Meryl Streep. Okay. Sophie's Choice. Sure. When I saw Sophie's Choice, it was like, I I became a fan of hers automatically Mm -hmm. for her courage. Yeah. That film was powerful.
0: That is often listed as like the uh, of of like of all like female performances and like filmed
2: them like that is you don't get better like of, a top five you know nobody should touch that don't make uh the second one or anything like that, <laughs> just leave it alone, don't touch it because she well she is she to me is the example of what an actor is yeah I mean she doesn't like I say, uh, a lot of female actors, right, mm-hmm. uh, like to look good. Right. She doesn't care. The character, no. the one she just did with, I forgot what his name, they were a couple and she was... Florence Foster Jenkins. Oh.
0: That, yeah, where she has to do, look do, foolish do you know on screen saying? singing, yeah.
2: that's and, There's no vanity and the scenes there. in the bed when she had bags under her eyes and stuff and she was, she didn't care. She was the person. Yeah. Um. Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yeah. One of my favorite actors, I'm sorry, a Tragic Death. Uh, yeah. But he was a great, great. Sidney Poitier inspired. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, every black person in America that's an actor, he was one of the first, um, not only as an actor, but he quietly stood up for black people and their dignity Mm -hmm. um in terms of the roles he took
0: there's definitely yeah i think that's a great word for it like his characters even like in certainly in something like in the heat of the night where it's a that's what the character himself is doing is is, he is dignified and he's trying to help other people recognize that Mm -hmm. um that's one of my favorite films all the time uh, of all time i i'm a big fan of rod steiger as well Mm -hmm. i think he's marvelous
2: um, um but I mean I, I have a whole list but I'm saying uh, yeah. those are three of my I think Denzel's done a lot of great stuff yeah. um uh Samuel Jackson um I mean um Mayola. Hmm? Mayola. Well yeah. Um <laughs> she's making my mind up for me so. That's it uh, happens. <laughs> a, um but Morgan Freeman? Yeah. One of the first films he did when he was the pimp, I forgot what street it was. Streetwise. No oh, way, is it? Street, street Smart. Street Smart. Streetwise is a documentary. When he push up against the wall with the knife. And yeah. That. Remember that scene? Yeah. That was that his was, first was, uh, Oscar was, nomination, I he, think. He was really good in that. Yeah. So I'm just saying, a lot of people have inspired me, great actors that mm-hmm. have the courage to really be that person. So.
0: Yeah. Jason,
1: thoughts? Oh. Um, I mean, I, I can tell you as, as when I was young and then older, I mean, when I was a kid, I was blown away by Indiana Jones. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I used to run around my mom's house with a, with a shower cap on and, yeah. a, and, a, and a, a belt Yeah, going after. I was just, I, I found the fear and the courage and, and what Harrison had playing those parts, I just thought. And of course, Blade Runner. Yeah. Um, I, I mm-hmm. thought he was just because I felt that he was so human. Yeah. Not a superhero, but a regular guy that, that has yeah. this conflict of falling in love with the enemy and then having to kill the enemy. You
0: know, it's very uh, interesting that people don't talk enough about Blade Runner in regards to his performance. They'll talk about the visuals, understandably so. they will talk about Rutger Hauer and Sean Young. But they don't often, they, like, that's an, oddly enough, that's an overlooked Harrison Ford performance, even in a movie that is praised. Yeah, well, he was coddled
1: a lot by, um, apparently, by Lucas and Spielberg. And with Ridley, Ridley didn't do that. Yeah. So you see how lonely Deckard is, and it bleeds into the character yeah. of what he's doing. And I thought that, uh, you know, there's a scene where he's got to shoot um, this replicant, and the lady's running through glass. Yeah. And you see at the end that he's just so conflicted and upset with what he's just done the terror yeah. that he's just and the, the horror that has just happened Yeah, um, but I mean uh, you know other actors I I mean Sean Penn for sure mm-hmm. um, Sean Penn's a great actor my dad took me when
0: I was 12 years old to see Platoon
1: mm. that had uh
0: Made a real big imprint on my. Are we life. still on Sean Penn? Because it might be casualties of war that you're talking about.
1: Um, no, I, I kind of jumped quickly. Oh, okay, all right, uh, sorry. But, <laughs> I, I, yeah, but uh, Sean Penn, casualties of war, state of grace, state of grace, yes. Um, mm-hmm. Ed but, Harris, Ed Harris, but you know, I would say that Oliver Stone was a huge, and Scorsese was mm-hmm. a big influence on me. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, Wall Street, I think is a hell of a yeah. film. Um, clean and sober, talking about Morgan Friedman. I thought, and, and, and also Michael Keaton. I mean, right. God, he was so amazing right. in, in that, you know. And we're
2: talking about directors also, you Sure. Favorite director of all time, Frank Capra. Frank Capra, okay, that's interesting. Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. I love it. It's a Wonderful Life. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, they come on every year, and every time they come on, I watch it. Yeah. I've seen it maybe 20 times or something like that. 30 times.
0: And Capra's unique because, and this is something that I've found in, in film school uh, many years after his, his heyday, is that there are some students that see his work as overly sentimental. I don't think That's so. Not true at all. I think there's an optimism. I think there's a hope. But I think there's a real clear-eyed look at the world. I mean, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, it might end on a triumphant note, but
2: that is a deeply cynical film. In it, a lot of it ways. It talked about the political system. You were the fact, and I, I was told this, not if it's true or not, but he was not allowed to show it in D.C. after they screened, that a screening, hmm. because it was so threatening to, you know, the D.C. establishment. But the fact of the matter is, it's a courageous film. Yeah. And, and you know, then McCarthy came after him, as you know, mm-hmm. and called him a communist and all that stuff for the film work that he was doing. But he right. stood up. Um, I had the good fortune of being, um, interviewed, uh, by his son for his life biography. Oh, nice. And, um, I, I just, admired him a great, yeah. and still admire him. A lot of my work is based on his, how can I say, attention to detail. hmm
0: Yeah. And, and it's so interesting, you know, you talk about his films being on every year and that sort of thing. And and it's a wonderful life now being like this great Christmas film, even though really like Christmas doesn't play that big of a role until the end. That's right. Um, but that is, I mean this, you know, George Bailey wants to kill himself because of things like this is, I, it's, it is frustrating. And there are, mo- there are movies that this happens with. Like I, I think Rocky is a wonderful film that admittedly has been a little bit diluted as a function of it's not great sequels. Um, and as a result, people think of like just culturally, people think of Rocky as incredibly uh, cheesy mm. and and again sentimental. You go back and watch that first Rocky; it's actually really gritty and really dark. It's it marvelous. Is. It's it's
1: so is two as well.
0: Yeah, and and I think Creed is marvelous. Yeah, and I and I really liked Rocky Balboa, but there is there is a little section there where it started getting the, kind of silly. Um, well, everybody wants to root for the underdog. Yeah, you know that that's going to pull the heartstrings of you know people
2: Um, Once Upon a Time in America Oh fantastic I was never a huge fan of that one Dear Dear Hunter Hunter. Dear Hunter I saw recently Uh, Um, You know another great film uh, I want actors again Kate Winslet You see Kate Winslet and Leonardo and Revolutionary Road Yeah Amazing Is that a great film? It's
0: uh, Yes But that's one that So I'm married And you watch that movie
2: and you're just (laughs) like (laughs) <laughs> I know, uh, I, know. Uh, I know, I know, believe me, I'm I know. Tired, you know? <laughs> the only thing that affected me worse than that film was Gone Girl. Gone Girl, boy. when she slit his throat oh, yeah. and took the blood and rubbed it all over her body. Uh, yeah. And then at the end of the movie, when they're, the, the people are downstairs reading, and, and he says to her, I know what you do and who you are. Yeah. And she just smiles and laughs. And she he pushes up against the wall, yeah. she takes his hand and says, "This is marriage."
0: <laughs> that is.
2: Speaking of cynical, movies,
0: was that deep or not? That's it's <laughs> it's uncomfortably deep. That's one that, uh, like, that movie, as marvelous as as it is, like, ruined my weekend. As a as a married guy, I
2: can understand. I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's fine.
0: It's and uh, uh, another one that actually is similar. I feel like it's a, in many ways an earlier version of Revolutionary Road is Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, Ooh. which I love. Edward so Albee. Much. Yeah,
2: I directed that play, man. Really? That was did you that, really? Yes. Wow.
0: That seems like an intense experience.
2: That uh, yeah. that play is was ahead of its time. Yeah. And Edward was Albee time. was a great, 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 great writer. Yeah. And I get all the credit he deserved, I think, because he mm-hmm. was very you know controversial person but that play is an incredibly powerful play oh yeah oh yeah i can't imagine you know
0: the film i think is marvelous i've never seen it on stage but i feel like if you were one of the actors because you know when you're in the film they can yell cut and you can drop character if you want in the play, you need to be those characters for two hours. Yes. I can't imagine anything more emotionally draining than being those characters for an extended period of time. Twice a day for twice, twice day. Day. <laughs> when,
1: when I was in New York, um, I studied with a lady named Deborah Hedwall, mm-hmm. and she actually put it on um, at, down at, I think the Baltimore, Uh, Center Theater or something like that Mm -hmm. but a bunch of us actually got in car and and took us like you know five hours to drive down and see it but I mean she was just
0: amazing
2: and Elizabeth Taylor was incredible in that film yeah yeah she was one of the best things she's ever done
0: well and that's and that's a very interesting choice that she made to be to even be in the movie Mm -hmm. because she's like the the picture of glamour and then she plays a very unglamorous unlikable
2: character I I love that about her taking that making that choice though
0: Um, yeah she's not so um, over the summer we we took a poll of our listeners we do one every year and this one was the top 25 actors top 25 actresses top can mean any number of things however the person wants to interpret it and and it's interesting to see over the years because I'd say our, our listenership is primarily though movie nerds with a respect for history are still fairly young and so it's interesting to see the actors that have kind of dropped off over the years and uh I I don't remember if Elizabeth Taylor was even on the list, and if she was, I don't remember her. Remember if she was very high or not. Um, and I think it's because for whatever reason, just like people have an image now of the type, it's like ah, oh, she was in Cleopatra, right? Whatever, and she's like, yeah, but look at at the if nothing else, look at this. Wonderful, fearless performance right here. That's right. Um, and then uh, I will say that uh, Meryl Streep was number one on for that me, list for me. And uh, on on actors, number one was uh, Jimmy Stewart, who is one Jimmy of my Stewart favorite
2: in actors. In those in those two films, Nick yeah. Goes to Washington* and *Who's* a, and and uh, *It's a Wonderful Life*. Mm-hmm. He, I don't know, man. He he was. <laughs> he, what can you say? He he yeah. took your heart. And then
0: you know, and he was. Uh, I thought he was Marvelous and Harvey, and then the yeah. stuff he did with Hitchcock was astounding to me. Um, but uh, now I do want to briefly, before we get into um, Praying for Mercy, and this will, this will transition into that, I do want to talk about some of the films, uh, Bill, that you have directed. Um, again, I was looking over the filmography, and uh, <laughs> I had forgotten that you, di- you made Hoodlum, correct? Yes. Now, I saw Hoodlum with my family, Uh, in the theater Mm -hmm. and Bill I'm sorry to say my mom thought it was too violent so I'm sorry that's that's one customer that you did not satisfy but then my mom thinks most things are too violent so sorry so sorry (laughs) (laughs) Um, but yeah that and actually that movie um, you know being a an American male in my teens, I was fascinated by like old school gangsters mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And Dutch Schultz is a character that I, between that and the movie Billy Bathgate, where Dustin Hoffman played him, I was very fascinated by the car- by the, the person of Dutch Schultz, mm-hmm. and I believe it was Tim Roth.
2: Tim Roth, one of my favorite actors. He's amazing. Yeah. Uh,
0: yeah, one of my pa- favorite performances of all time is in Rob Roy, where he plays Archibald Cunningham, mm-hmm. uh, one of, I think, the best villains of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so hoodlum and um deep cover deep cover what would you say directorially was your and this you know maybe you'll be stepping on toes by answering this um what would you say was your your favorite film or tv project that you that you ever directed and why
2: that's difficult because uh yeah favorite we can, we can
0: switch it up to most rewarding if you want, uh, but it's essentially the same question.
2: Well, um, I really like Deep Cover mm-hmm. because working with Lawrence Fishburne yeah. and Jeff Goldblum together, Yeah. and that collaboration, and it was a collaboration with Henry yeah. being the writer, and it, it was something that um, was a rare experience mm-hmm. because it was, a, it was based on a book. And written by this gentleman who was um, part of the DEA, Drug Enforcement Agency. Mm -hmm. Uh, And because he decided he was going to really go after not only the mules of the street that sold the drugs, Mm -hmm. but the people who brought it into the country and the big folks that were making money, they fired him. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And the, the movie was based upon the book. And the book was... Very, very courageous, I thought. And so when Fishburne saw the book and the script and and Jeff, we all kind of collaborated and put something together. Mm-hmm. And it was a great experience in the sense it was very difficult to film because of the hours and the schedule and the budget. But the collaboration of the crew and the cast, very much like *Paying for Mercy, even though it was a great experience because of the people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that was funny, Sister Act, but... Where'd you shoot that, Bill? Hmm? Deep, deep Cover, What was that shot? That was shot in Los Angeles and Long Beach and mm-hmm. all different parts of, you know. And, um, but it was, it, was, it was a lot of nights. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. boy, um, boy. So Deep Cover was my favorites. I would say Sister Act 2 was very enjoyable. Back in the Habit. Yes <laughs> sorry
0: I, because, I, I try to remember those <laughs>
2: yes because of uh, Whoopi Goldberg, who's yeah. a great uh, talent but also great people mm-hmm. so it was a pleasure working with her. I actually
0: um, wanted to ask you about Sister Act 2 because when you again when you when you look at your directorial filmography, a lot of darker things, a lot of crime things and then you have this Light-hearted comedy, mm-hmm. comedy sequel, no less. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what is the what is the difference? Not even necessarily in the vibe on set, but just in general, like the creative choices you have to make. Like, what is the difference between making a, a hard-hitting, violent film like Hoodlum, or something light like Sister Act? It's a great question.
2: Thank well, you. <laughs> well, it's uh, it's the same process, mm-hmm. uh, but in something in the scope of Sister Act, you're dealing with. Not only the acting, you're mm-hmm. dealing with music, yeah, and dance, yeah, and choreography, and all these other elements and other departments that a particular movie that's a drama does not have. And so, and then script-wise, it has to be an organic, ex, the music has to be an organic extension of the story, yeah. And how do you do it so that it just doesn't pop out of the air, yeah, but that you believe it came out of the the particular emotion of that particular scene and it gives you continuation and so you're working with the writer of the film you're working with the composer mm-hmm. you're working with the lyricists you're working with a whole cadre of people yeah that um, you have you're never ready for it yeah and you have to be ready but I mean it, it was a great experience it's so interesting because you know
0: uh, when people think of say an action movie and they think of like a big action set piece, most people watching that would be able to say, "Wow, that was really an achievement." But there's something about comedy, whether there be a, whether it be a musical element or 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 slapstick or whatever it is, there's something about com- comedy that seems effortless.
2: Mm. But it's but if anything, it requires more effort right. than than the action sequence. Does. Every Wednesday, I go to Russell Simmons deaf comedy jam, it's at, and we gotta go one time. <laughs> it's, it's, it's at the uh, Chinese Theater on Hollywood Boulevard on the third floor, and some of the best comedians <laughs> in this country go up there to reform, mm-hmm. and then they have new comedians. One of the most painful things to watch is a comedian that tells a joke and nobody laughs. Oh, God. And they try, <sighs> they try harder and harder and it gets worse and worse and worse <laughs> I don't I mean as an actor we have take one and take two yeah comedian they don't ha- they get take one that's it
0: yeah yeah. and yeah we've had on this show a, a disproportionate number of comedians uh, just because they enjoy the podcast circuit and uh, and we used to be fairly heavily involved in the in the stand up comedy scene not that we were, are comedians but um, we would go to uh, we would go to like open mics to support some of our friends who were, you know, who were definitely more experienced and could get a laugh. Mm-hmm. But that meant watching some of the people that were totally new. And not that they were untalented, they're just new. No, and they don't know how to read an audience no. yet. And it is whether it be a film or a stand up or whatever it is, there's something physically painful about an unfunny comedy or comedian because just like we're all expecting to hear a noise which is laughter and just crickets just silence that's why the
1: king of comedy I think is such a great movie oh my god! because not, he's so because comm- <laughs> he's so committed that he thinks he's great and he's just d- deplorable <laughs> he's horrible you that's, know that's what's Man, funny that's, that that movie. What's movie. that's what's funny about it yeah but they see you know what they say dying is easy comedy is hard you know? yeah
0: <laughs> is that the truth <laughs> you know yeah and it's and it is interesting when you so many people look at like it, when a when a a comedic actor transitions in, into drama, like, you know, Jim Carrey with Truman Show or Steve Carell with, you know, Foxcatcher or something. And... Steve
2: Carell's great. I love him.
0: Yeah, he's, I think he's a... I remember... I'm not a huge fan of the movie Little Miss Sunshine, but I remember thinking he was very... good. I think mm. all the acting is good. I just think that mm. it's a little too cutesy for my taste. But he's a remarkably dependable actor. And so it's... So it is notable when a comedic performer can do that. But I think it's actually more notable when somebody that is known for hard drama can do like a silly thing like though Sean Penn started with Spicoli he came to be known as like the really intense oh, yeah. guy oh, yeah. but then when he go when he acts in you know sweet and low down and he's light and he's mm-hmm. silly mm-hmm. and he's completely uh uh, unselfconscious. Uh, it's it's refreshing. It's like, what I, I had no idea they were capable of this. Great. Right yeah. um,
1: you see Hurley Burley, where he's, yeah. he's it's it's kind of like a whirlwind of emotions. He's up mm-hmm. and he's down. It's funny. It's direct. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's it's. Uh, well, Rabe is pretty amazing, but that's a
0: that is a in the best way. That is a tiring film oh and a tiring God. play. Oh, oh yeah,
1: <laughs> I did it in New York City actually. Really? Oh, who would you play? I played Phil. Oh yeah. That's exciting. Actually, actually with David Wenzel. David played uh, Eddie uh-huh. and I played Phil. We did it, oh my God, uh, 30, I was 30 years old. 13 years ago at the, um, at the Belt Theater right next to the, uh, actually at the Zipper Theater right next to the Belt Theater.
2: <laughs> I miss theater,
1: man. 36th Street.
2: I, 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 I mean, I started in theater and there's nothing, you know, and I'm not trying to be snobbish, but <laughs> there's a difference. When I'm working with actors as a director, I can tell. Mm-hmm. the difference between an actor who came through theater yeah. on a live stage
0: mm-hmm.
2: and had to go through the entire process of all that stuff and someone just started in film. There's, there's a depth to what they can do that I don't think exists. So that's just my, theater is to me the, the great, great discipline. It's, yeah, because
1: you only have one take to get it right. Yeah. I mean, that, the, and it's kind of like the, that, that's the tightrope you're on. There's no, ta- as we were saying before, there's no take one, take two, take three. It's you got to just do it. And you got to do it. Do or die. You
0: know? <laughs> I, I did theater in high school and I remember I was in a production of Harvey and there was a moment when a door was locked that shouldn't have been. Oh. And so it's like, uh-oh, <laughs> uh, my character is supposed to leave. And yet here I am, not leaving. I don't have any more dialogue, so what do I do? It was the one of the most terrifying moments of my life. Kick the door in. I said something about like like oh I'll take the side entrance or something. <laughs>
2: like,
0: <laughs> something that couldn't be less obvious.
2: Like it's,
0: you know, hey, I'm not proud of it, but I had to get out of. But you made it up. You made it up. Impro- improvise when you can improvise. <laughs> yeah. And from that moment, it's like, man, I hate theater. That's <laughs> 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 terrible. Um, mm-hmm. But that's but yeah. Um, there's that movie. Oh my gosh, uh, the name is escaping me. Uh, my favorite year mm-hmm. with Peter O'Toole, who's like a movie star, mm-hmm. who then works, who then gets cast in a theater play mm-hmm. and a theater play, of course. Uh, and and his whole thing is like, I-, I didn't know I had to memorize all these lines. Oh my god! And he's just like terrible. He's thought of as this mm-hmm. amazing actor, but mm-hmm. all, but he was as an actor, he was made in editing. Um, which is, a, a and it's That's actually right. very, sa- very funny, but also kind of
2: sad at the same time. Yeah. Um, it's a big, it's a big difference. The, in theater, the screen is this big. Yeah. Yeah. In film, it's this big. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And big, big difference. Huge. And yeah. the flip side can be the theater actor that can't modulate
2: their performance to the, to film. It happens. Oh, no, 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 please. Just, just, I want to see the eyes, you know, I don't. (laughs) Yeah. You don't. Yeah.
0: The back row is three inches from your face now. That's right. Um, Not a hundred rows back. (laughs) Yeah. You don't need to worry about projecting anymore. We've, we've got a mic on you. It's fine. We got it. (laughs) Um, Okay. So real quick, you were in Predator. Listeners uh, love Predator because everybody does. It's amazing. Um, And so I was going to ask uh, some, some, some basic questions about that, but sadly, we don't have a great deal of time. So I will say, do you have one favorite story or anecdote or just fact about working on Predator?
2: My favorite is this. Okay. Uh, this is a true story. Um, we were up there in the jungles of Puerto Varata for months, you know. And the predator that you saw in the film was not the original predator.
0: Yeah. the original a, one's a little rough.
2: Yeah, there was a, a smaller version, ambidextrous, with all these laser beams. And to play that character, you, you had to be on these... In, in the trees on these wires, you had to fly through the trees and they were gonna put the special effects on the body later mm-hmm. in post-production. But the actor had to dress in this felt suit that you put the special effects on, like a green screen thing. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> the a- it was 100, maybe 9 to 12 degrees with humidity, and he had passed out twice. <laughs> Just from dehydration so joel silver the producer came up to him after he passed out the second time and he said you pass out one more time and you're fired <laughs> and the guy said hey wait a minute i am not passing out on purpose joel i'm dehydrated yeah. he says you're costing me Joel's costing me money costing us time i have compassion but you pass out one more time and you're fired two more weeks two weeks pass everything's fine one day, it's scorching. The guy passes out. George, I mean, um, um, Joel. Joel goes up to him and says, you're fired. That guy was Jean-Claude Van Damme. <laughs> it's the first job he had as an actor in this country. That played the Predator. Yes, the, he, he was. <laughs> the, the original Predator. The original. Yeah. It was Jean-Claude Van Damme. And they hired another guy that was a martial artist. Was the big, the tall guy that finally played it unfortunately he died but um, Kevin Peter Hall I yes believe. Kevin yes. Peter Hall but it was that was Jean-Claude Van Damme
0: you know here's what I get out of that story Joel Silver's pretty rough
2: <laughs> um, I feel like he's a great producer um, he really I think has insight but he's also a businessman Yeah, no. yeah and you know the studio holds his feet to the fire yeah so he holds our feet to the fire. Yeah. So that's it's, it's the business of it. And with a movie like that,
0: you know, it's weird to think now, but there's no guarantee that that movie's going to do well. So like, you don't want to take too many risks uh, as you're making it. Um, and
2: as we're making it, we're in the. It's a true story. We're the first week there. In the jungle, the food tent is surrounded by netting, but every time we go for our food, there's bugs in the food. So we go to the chef. And we say take this crap back. We're not eating it. This is an insult to us. He says, I'm doing the best I can. Week two, it was called protein. Because there was no more food to eat. So he just ate. (laughs) Ah, the glamorous life of an actor. (laughs) That's how, that's how glamorous it was. Exactly.
0: Um, But everything worked out. Now there's a, I'm gonna to say too many Predator movies. There's a lot. <laughs> There's a lot of. Pre- I thought Predators was surprisingly good, um, and I know Shane Black is going to be making uh, another Predator movie, which I'm excited about because I'm mm-hmm. I'm a fan of Shane Black. Um, but yeah, those those Alien versus Predator movies are uh, tough sledding.
2: No, thank you. Nothing's like the first though that John McTernan directed. Yeah, that's just and John McTernan, One of the John McTiernan, another great director. Amazing, amazing. <clears throat> great director. He, talking about being able to tell a story with a camera. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the turn
0: is brilliant, and you know, I was reading this. This was only written relatively recently, and I'm sorry we'll get off a of predator soon. I apologize. This was written relatively recently, and it's marvelous. I want every screenwriter I know uh, and every screenwriter listening to read this article. I'll see if I can find it. I'll put it on our Facebook page, and somebody breaks down how you can introduce a number, a bunch of characters quickly. Efficiently and effectively. Yes. Hmm. And they use as an example the helicopter ride. Yes. From Predator. Yes. And it goes character by character. Yeah. Even even the, the mm-hmm. lower profile right. characters right. like Hawkins and, yep, and Poncho. That's right. Yep, that's right. And shows like here's what they're doing visually. Yep. Here's the dialogue they're given. That's and it's right. fairly minimal dialogue. Mm-hmm. And just says like by the end of this by the end of this chopper ride, you know who they all are. Some of them And their mission. And their mission. And their relationships to one another. Now, some of them might be a bit more, might be archetypes, and, you know, that's fine, mm-hmm. but you you come away knowing every member of that team. Right. And I remember reading that, and I hadn't thought about that before. Of course, it was still as effective, uh, unconsciously or subconsciously, but to have somebody spell it out like that and go character by character, it's like, man, that's... Predator is a film that I think is... <laughs> Everybody likes it, but I feel like it is not examined enough as a very effective work of art. Predator is up there. This might be an, an insult to anybody listening. I don't know uh, you guys in the room. Predators like Tremors. Yes, I love Tremors. Me I think too. Tremors is one of the most effective <laughs> movies too. ever. Mm-hmm. And yet, those two movies, while everybody acknowledges that they are fun they'll push them aside and talk about Alien. Now mm-hmm. Alien is one of my favorite films of yes. all time. Yes, But Predator and Tremors and movies like that deserve to be mm-hmm. talked about uh, by students of film. Yes. And not just, you know, bros at a frat party or something. <laughs> That's right. Um, that, co- that helicopter
1: scene is great because there's no dialogue, right? Yeah. And you could see, as you're saying, all the characters come out. Bill's got a suit on. And yeah. at the end, Schwarzenegger's in there smoking a cigar. Yeah. But you're right. It did, there's a there's oodles and oodles of information with no dialogue, just by the the, the choices and the appearance and the, you know the.
2: And you know something else about Predator that was amazing to me was that in a way it's a horror film. Oh yeah, yeah. And everybody except Arnold and the girl and the one character dies. Mm-hmm. And it's fascinating because. The Predator takes on more and more. These are tough guys, you know? These are tough guys. They're not supposed to die. They're supposed to kill this thing, and the thing outsmarts them. The the film
0: is structurally similar to, I'm not going to say it is on par with Psycho. I think Psycho is a better movie. Mm -hmm. I think it's better than most movies. Mm -hmm. But structurally, it reminds me of Psycho. Mm -hmm. The first 30 minutes of Predator, is basically commando. It's basically yeah. A, yeah. a, a purely military set it's, it's a setup. It's Yeah. A setup, it's a setup. And it's meant to show how effective this team mm-hmm, is yes. so that when they are killed, That's right, it means something big time. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, if you, you know, when I was a kid, like I would regularly do like a double feature of aliens, not, a, not the first one, the second mm-hmm. one, aliens and mm-hmm, predator mm-hmm. watch the two and be like, man, you don't get any better than this <laughs> for a, for, you know, a, an 11 year old kid. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're gonna go ahead and transition into um, praying for mercy, which Jason, I believe you wrote, correct? I co-wrote. Co-wrote. Okay. Well, the other guy's not here, so uh, let's uh, let's he's see. The you, You're the writer. Yeah. yeah exactly. So uh, the
1: the inception of that with with my writing partner Art Hall uh, started uh, actually while I was moving in North mm-hmm. Hollywood, and we had I had two ideas, and we went with both of them actually at the mm-hmm. same time, but. It, we wrote "Praying for Mercy" as a feature first. Mm-hmm. Okay, so when I went to New York City, I bumped into David Wenzel, who I had not seen in ten years, mm-hmm. and he uh, and I needed a producer on it. So he tried for about a year, even more, to get it made as a as a feature. And so we thought the by the collaboration of Bill and um, you know and and all of us together, we we came up with the idea of it's smarter to make this um, you know be a a short that has that has the ability to be uh, a series or a TV movie you know with uh, you know and I had very dedicated producers John Rigoris and Dave um, you know also Jordan Raskin as a writer as well helped us a lot and um, but that's kind of the that you know,
0: and what is it? Uh, real quick, what is it about? We don't want to give away spoilers or anything, but uh, how would you summarize it? It's about a cop on the run. Cop on basically
1: the run. reinvents his life, um, and then his past starts to look for him. Yeah, ten years after the fact, when he does something very bad in New mm-hmm. York City and comes out to LA. Uh,
0: so I watched the film earlier today, and I will go ahead and say that uh, I love stories like that. I'm a big, su- I'm a sucker of for like a guy's past comes back to haunt him. I'm a big fan of film noir. I love a, the film A History of Violence. So it pushed a lot of my uh, pleasure buttons um, as I watched it. Um, and so, Bill, how did you get to be attached to this film? This character over here? This guy? Jason? Uh, well, uh, Dave and, and me and, and
2: John. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Re- reached out and I saw the script and mm-hmm. they were open to my vision and everything. I really mm-hmm. wanted to do it. I just <clears throat> thought that it was a well-conceived idea. Mm-hmm. And um, I like working on things that are not just in the same old ballpark, you know? Yeah. And um, the fact that this leaves you with a hook at the end, mm-hmm. I love that, you know? Yeah. yeah. I'm,
0: I'm. yeah, another one of those buttons for yes. me is the open-ended ending. That's right. Um, where not everything is is tied up in mm-hmm. a bow. I'm, a, That's I'm not- a sucker for that.
2: I love that. Yes.
0: <laughs> um. And then you also play uh, the I've, I've forgotten the name of the character. I'm sorry. Uh, Frank Gates. Frank Gates. Um, fairly intense., yep. performance. Yep. Um, so I, I'll go ahead and ask you. now obviously, as the writer, you have specific insight into the character, but just because you write him doesn't mean that acting, uh, that playing him is going to be a walk in the park. Oh, no. And so how, you, know, what kind of things did you draw on? To craft that level of intensity, uh,
1: the 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 loss um, of my family, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, the fear, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, the, you know that that's really what uh, I worked on a lot. Um, you know that you know if if and and also the fact that I have somebody who's after me and it's it's very real, mm-hmm. you know, and my life can be completely decimated yeah. at any point so I think fear latching on to fear and then trying to um, you know have some kind of semblance or veneer of, of you know uh, everything's okay but gee, it really isn't Yeah, <laughs> you
0: know um, I, I think that's what I was really w- trying to work with um, and so this is a question that I, that I have for, for actors all the time because it's fascinating to me you know, if your character makes a decision that you, the actor, would find repugnant, you know, uh, how do you keep from in your performance condemning that? Like playing like, because you, in a sense, an actor has to love their character or at mm-hmm. least or at least empathize with them to the extent that they it could be seen as love. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you when you're playing a character who is deeply flawed? Mm-hmm. how do you keep from telegraphing your own judgment? Of those of those flaws and of those actions, you make
1: a positive choice. Okay, because if you start to judge the judge what you're doing of the character, it's very result oriented. Mm-hmm. You know, so even if you're playing a, a nefarious or evil or um, dastardly character, you have to find the justification within yourself mm-hmm. of you know uh, that you are doing something good. Yeah, and latching onto that uh, really seriously.
0: Yeah, the idea that. Uh... All judgment, maybe not all judgment, that might be a big, a bit of a stretch, but a good portion of the nature of judgment is hindsight is, well, we all know how this is going to end, right? Well, if we knew that we wouldn't make, I'd say most of the mistakes that we make, Mm -hmm. sometimes we make them knowing full well how they're going to turn out and they're not going to turn out well. But, um, but yeah, uh, very, very much living in the moment, uh, is, is how to, how to sell that. Um, now, Bill, you mentioned before that uh, you know having a vision for this film specifically. How would you characterize that vision? Uh, you know, what did you want to accomplish directorially with this film?
2: Visually, I I, I wanted to. Um, we accomplished it to a certain extent, but I wanted it to be an atmosphere of haunting, mm-hmm. because the universal message for me is that. On some level, um, all of our pasts come back to haunt us on some level.
0: <laughs> on some level. On some level. Oh yeah.
2: And that was a universal message for me. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted it to look like a haunting. In other words, as you see, the only safe spaces in the film are the well-lit interior of his home. Mm-hmm. Right. Everything outside of that. Yeah. So they're handheld, steady cam or dark streets, or interior of the police car, or going down alleys. It's all threats that his past has come back to haunt him. And that's the feeling I wanted.
0: And there's also some editorial choices that I find are, are very interesting, which is you'll get these just split-second, very jarring flashes of mm-hmm. something. You're like you don't know what it is immediately, and it will often be uh, in the midst of like a, a fairly quiet, maybe mm-hmm. not silent, but a fairly quiet scene mm-hmm. um, as, as these characters are talking, and then there'll just be a flash yes. of this horrible thing, mm-hmm. and then it's back to business, yes. and it might happen a few times, and like, and there's a, I'm not, I won't say that that's necessarily a horror type instinct, but the idea of. Not never really being mm-hmm. safe, and that this thing is always there in the back of this character's mind, ready to jump at him, whether he want whether he's ready or not.
2: Um, yeah, the the conscious mind of control is one aspect of our reality, mm-hmm. <clears throat> but there's an irrational haunting thing. Yeah, that you know, how can I? Stalks us. Yeah, and I wanted to talk about that, and <clears throat> it's not only a not always a logical progression. Mm -hmm. It's like, like I say, you're in love with somebody, right? Mm -hmm. And you're into this experience. But your love relations over the past, Mm -hmm. in terms of trust issues, can haunt you. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. And so the thing is, is that it happens in flashes, it happens in, it's not like I'm thinking about it, it's gonna happen, no. You're in the middle of something, and your past somehow comes in. It's it's weird. Yeah. Well, that's it
0: mimics the way the mind works. Yes. You know, which oddly enough puts me in mind of another movie. This is by coincidence. One of my favorite examples of, of this is, in fact, Steven Soderbergh's *The Limey*, which you were also in. Yes. But there is a vi- there's a very interesting. Me. Oh yeah. An in- <laughs> a, a fascinating, and unique director that can do traffic and Aaron Brockovich in the same year, right. which yeah. is astonishing That's right. That's right. to me. Um, but, uh, but in that, you have the character. When it's revealed that the film is essentially the character thinking back on his Los Angeles trip, and you see that there will be a conversation between him and, say, Leslie Ann Warren, um, and the conversation is linear, but it's cut between, like, four different locations. Yes. So like she'll ask him a question in one location and he's responding in another. And you think, like, why is that happening? And it's like, oh, that's how memory works. Memory is such that you remember the gist of a conversation you had with somebody and you, may, and you remember that, well, we, we talked over these several locations. I don't remember what was said where, but I remember the, the essence of the conversation and the four different locations. And so it's just this hodgepodge of things. And so in that same, in that same way, the film... Uh, uh, praying for mercy you know the past doesn't stay in the past but also flashbacks don't work the way they work in the movies where you you think back and have a perfect memory of the beginning middle Mm -hmm. and end of a scene Mm -hmm. it comes in in little spurts and flashes and often at times we that make no that don't make a great deal of sense
2: I I don't want to give away the film but his character is responsible for the killing Child spoilers, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah, and and he cannot, he has a son, mm-hmm. and when he talks to his son, the face of that child sometimes, yeah, comes into his mind. And his wife says, yeah. Are you okay? Like you're sitting at the dinner table, that that scene is the dinner table, yeah, it's just and you get, he says, Daddy, you okay? Yeah, yeah, I'm all, I'm all right. Yeah. But seeing his son reminds him of the haunting. Yeah. You know.
0: So, the film is available uh, on Amazon. Amazon Prime. Amazon Prime, pardon me, yes. uh, Which I have, and that's how I watched it. (laughs) Uh, And so, um, now this is not a creative question, this is an administrative question, but how does one get something on Amazon Prime? How does one... Put it on there is it is it all connections or what
1: i i it's unfortunate that david winzel is not here but he really he really made that happen okay and I, I imagine it's it's the connections that he has but i can't really speak to that uh with great specificity because um he just did it how he did it <laughs> yeah
2: dave <laughs> yeah. hustles i mean dave never gives up yeah and mm-hmm. he goes yeah to everybody to try to get them to yeah. look at it and mm-hmm. yeah and, and get distribution and marketing for it. I mean, we are like on the sideline of that, but mm-hmm. he's, he still works every day trying to get it done.
0: Yeah. yeah. Now is his, is his official title producer? Is that what he executive, producer. executive producer and okay. produce? Yeah. 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 And you come to realize that, you know, um, people make jokes about producers and understandably so as being kind of ruthless, but you need to be, you know, and, and if you get You're a ruthless business, yeah. Exactly, and if you're going to get anything done, and if you and you know the best thing you can have is a producer who actually believes in the thing he's producing, and will fight for it. Um, he fights. <laughs> he, he was a
1: point producer in this. Yeah, you know he. I mean executive, but he's a point producer. Uh, and and it's you know, the whole thing was a marathon. I mean, you know, uh, Art Hall, my partner, was really instrumental mm-hmm. in the whole thing too. We were constantly working on the script, working on the script, working on the script. Those mm-hmm. notes. You know, we all, we all worked pretty hard to make this happen,
0: which actually does lead to one last question. That's, that's a, a larger question for, for you, Bill, as a director, cause you mentioned the idea of, of Bill having notes. How comfortable do you feel as a director changing a script to fit with what you want it to be?
2: It's hard. Um, you know, we were very fortunate. We were all collaborative. Mm-hmm. And they were open to it. But I described to him one time, I said, I really understand your pain because him and the other writer, you know, writers sit in dark rooms yeah. for months and years creating their baby, right? Mm-hmm. Perfecting their baby. Then they give their baby to you, yeah, the director. And you say this? I wanna, I wanna be involved in this baby's life, because this is a beautiful baby. Could you take out the baby's left eye? <laughs> <laughs> well, this is taking a very grim turn. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I'm saying, but the, but, but the, the, you're saying the film describes a very unattractive baby, and your baby's too pretty. <laughs> yeah, sure. You know, it so, says so sure. take the left eye out and cut off the left foot. Yeah. Then it's closer, and, and. <laughs> It's hard for them to hear it because you just told them it was a beautiful baby. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a collaboration, and if you're lucky, you work with writers who are not married to right. their words, but right. to the, the development and perfecting of yeah. the script. Yeah. And, yeah, and, and Art, that's what
1: they were doing. Me, me and Art were very amenable to that, and, mm-hmm. and uh, actually Art played the, the killer. In the film, mm-hmm. but yeah, we were very amenable to that, and and uh, yeah,
0: you know, it's it's very interesting because you get directors like Clint Eastwood who rather famously changes almost nothing about the scripts that he that he directs, and honestly, sometimes that's great. Other times it isn't. Like there are other times like that should have been removed, you know, because like not every script is great, and not every script will match the director that it, that is making it 100% That's true. and as it is ultimately the director's film he or she should feel free to with the utmost respect to the writer and to the material change it so that it so that it works because there have been times like so I'm a fan of Mystic River. Oh, what a great film. It's a great film, great film. And there's a scene at the end that is a great scene. That should not be in the film, or at least should be somewhere else. And it's the scene where Laura Linney turns essentially into Lady Macbeth. Oh, yeah. It is like the second to last scene. Yeah, yeah. This is a character, great performance. I think Laura Linney like a national treasure, um, and a very well-written scene. Yeah. But it's the second to last scene, and this character who's not, who hasn't been that important suddenly elevates herself to this other thing. It's like it either needs to be earlier or cut completely. Mm-hmm and that's something that a director can do is like look I like it but it can't be here and she's a great actress and too. she's a wonderful actress and yeah. i understand why he wouldn't want to cut that right. it's a, like i said it's a great scene but it's a great self-contained scene in a movie but it's in a movie
2: but the, the, let me add this to it okay he might have wanted to cut it but if the studio didn't want the him to, other thing. didn't want him to cut it yeah then there is a battle that you as a director you cannot win that battle yeah because if they're in charge of marketing distribution and they love it, mm-hmm. then you fight, you, you, do, you do your best. Yeah. But in the final analysis, yeah. the golden rule, he has the gold rules.
0: <laughs> well, and it's, and it, it could literally be like the studio looks at that and says, hey, we can make an Oscar campaign out of that scene. Yes. No problem. And, you know, it's, it's, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, it's very interesting being uh, a critic in Los Angeles as opposed to anywhere else because when you're here eventually you get to know actors writers directors and you get to know the industry a little bit and it's one thing to to speak in theory about like you know talk about the auteur theory and that the director is the ultimate is the ultimate authority and that if a movie f- succeeds or fails it's on the director now I do believe that it for the most part but out here, you like, when you're out here and you actually talk to people, you come to realize just how many compromi- compromises are forced upon the director. And that if something has gone... Like, Suicide Squad, I think, is an absolute mess. But it's, that's the studio's mess. Like, when they... Yeah. When you see the degree to which they took that film away, gave it to a company that edits trailers to recut it. Like... How much can I blame the director for that? That's why it's so
1: great to see the director's cut because you never know what's foisted on the director and the constraints that they're under because the studios kind of puts them, you know, handcuffs them and puts them, puts them in shackles. So yeah. you don't really know until you see the director's cut what, what was really intended, what the work of art really was. Yeah,
2: I was directing a film. I won't name it. Okay, but um,
0: <laughs> very diplomatic.
2: Um, we were casting the film, and um, the casting director is here. I'm here, the studio executive is here, and this gentleman who works with the studio is here. Mm -hmm. And they asked me, well, what actor do you think would be good for that role, this role? I named three people. The studio executive looks at this guy and says, and the guy, all he does is look at social media. Yeah. If they have under 500,000, no matter how good an actor he or she is, uh. they want the person with a higher social media network. Right. Yeah.
1: Because right. they're followed. Yeah. So
2: as a director, you're fighting. <laughs> yeah. You understand, the, you understand the business of it. I mean, you understand what the eyeballs they want to get. Mm-hmm. But you're saying, wait a minute, this is not, they don't compare to this actor. Yeah. And so you're in that
0: now. Yeah, and it's just like, well, this actor is pre-approved as popular and acceptable. This other actor might be a risk, um, which is why, you know, it's interesting. I, I think about this in, return, in, in regards to an actor like Casey Affleck, who I think is a marvelous actor, and in 2007... He he was in Assassination of Jesse James by the Coward Robert Ford, for which he got an Oscar, no- a well-deserved Oscar nomination, marvelous in that, but he was also in Gone Baby Gone, where he's the lead, and he's a tough lead. He's a tough Boston guy. Well, Casey Affleck is a smaller guy, and his voice is a little bit high. It's very counterintuitive. Now, he does a wonderful job, and he absolutely rises to the level of that character, but if his brother weren't directing it, I don't know if anybody would have taken that chance. Yeah. You know, yeah, good point. And it's, and when, when I realized that it's like, oh my gosh, that's, that could have gone. And, and if, and if somebody else were directing that movie, first off, I think it'd be a worse movie. Because I think Ben Affleck is turning out to be a really, really good director, but, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. um, but if somebody else were directing that movie, they probably would have gone with a much more popular and a much more conventional actor. Meanwhile, the, one of the reasons that character works so well is because he's unconventional. Um, Boy, oh, boy. I think I might have bummed myself out uh, talking about the industry. <laughs> but, but at the same time, you know, uh, there things are changing. And, and as we talked about earlier, you know, new online outlets like Amazon, like Crackle and that sort of thing, allows a film like Praying for Mercy. Mm-hmm. It, it gives it a home. Yes. Because at, it's 40 minutes long, roughly, mm-hmm. right? And, you know, well, that's not a theatrical length. Right. But it's not exactly like a full-on TV movie, no, nor is it one episode of, right. a, of a TV show. So it's like, so where exactly does that does that go? Well, it can go on Amazon. It can go online. Like that is the freedom that can come with these new developments. And and I know I know plenty of people. The the guy that was on the on the show last week, uh, his 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 movie, which is a, which is feature length, but it's also a very unique film that it's not that it's unmarketable. It's that I could see a lot of studios being like, we don't know what really what to do with this. I think it's a remarkably great film. It's available on Amazon. And so it's, that is is like one of the good things is that these new developments allow smaller projects uh, to be seen by people that would enjoy them.
1: To see the light of day, yeah.
0: So on that note, People can find praying for mercy at Amazon and you can get it through Amazon prime yes, sir. or you can pay for it. Uh, you know, you can just rent it out. Right. Um, and you will see, uh, Jason on screen being very intense and, uh, and, uh, exhausting to watch, uh, <laughs> in a good way. I mean, yeah. not just like, yeah, I get it. Let me look at my watch. Yeah. Uh, I don't mean in that way. Uh, but yeah, so, so check that out, everybody. Um, in the meantime, uh, uh, is there a place that people can find either of you guys online like a Twitter account or a Facebook Real account
2: RealbuildDuke.com.
0: RealBuildDuke.com. yes
2: realbuildduke.com
0: alright Jason are do you uh, are you an online presence I am on uh, Facebook Facebook yep Jason with a Y yep Gladstone Gladstone traditional yep. spelling so alright uh, as for us, you can find us at BattleshipPretention.com. If you want to leave any comments, you're welcome to uh, in this post. Uh, you can follow David at pretension, uh on Twitter, and you can follow me Ty- at Tyler pretension You can also fo- follow my other podcast, uh, More Than One Lesson. This week, oh, and uh, by the time this goes up, yeah, uh, in... Uh, in celebration, question mark, of the upcoming election, we uh, are talking about the documentary uh, Best of Enemies, which is a marvelous movie and one that I think people everywhere should watch, especially given the divisive uh, uh, elements of this campaign. So uh, so you can find that at morethanonelesson.com. Uh, in the meantime, Jason, Bill, thank you so much for being on oh, the show. Thank you. This was great. We this was Thank, it. A thank tremendous you so much. Fun. And thank you guys for listening, and we'll get you next time. Bye.